Welcome to Digital Marketing Intelligence, Ask the Experts, a live bi-weekly show to help you know what to do and what's new in digital marketing for 2021 and beyond. Ask questions, suggest topics, and grow faster with actionable insights and proven strategies from the world's leading experts. everybody and welcome to Digital Marketing Intelligence for Entrepreneurs Ask the Experts. I'm Marissa Morgan, today's show host, and I'm also the Business Development Manager at Engage. On behalf, behalf of myself and the whole team at Engage, I want to welcome you to today's show. Today's show guests will be joining us in just a moment to share how there's so many different relationship strategies that you need to be putting in place, right? Especially to exceed your sales goals right now in something that we're, we're kind of broadly terming the COVID era. Our guest believes that relationships are the most powerful currency, and we're going to learn more about his, uh, his thoughts on that. And also he'll be sharing some of his very, very powerful books as well, which really dive into the topic return on relationship relationships, which he's actually trademarked. Before I introduce you to our very special guest who will be joining us from sunny Florida, I do want to remind you that this show is produced by Engage. And if you're not familiar with Engage, we are a cloud-based platform that offers small to mid-sized businesses, startups, all kinds of free forever engagement tools. And many of our tools, and I think our guests will appreciate this, are built to help optimize the customer experience. We all know that in today's competitive marketplace, in order to have a competitive edge, right? It is all about building relationships, building relationships, um, creating loyal customers because loyal customers buy more, they convert faster. And obviously when someone has a good experience, they tell a million people, right? If they have a great experience, if someone has a bad experience, they tell 20 million people, right? So our free forever software is out there for you to help you improve and optimize your customer experience. So check that out. You can learn more about our platform at ngagge.com. Also, in today's competitive marketplace and also in this kind of COVID era, we're all learning the importance of creating content, right? To connect with our leads, to connect with our customers. Um, show them we understand their needs, right? And we're here for them. And a great way to create content is to start your own podcast or start your own live stream, just like we have done here at Engage. We just launched a couple months ago, a new program. It's called Engage Live. And if you go to engagelive.com and check that out, we can actually help you produce your live stream show or produce your podcast for you. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you're not sure how to do it. Maybe you want someone like myself to come on and moderate a show with you. Or maybe you want to do it, but you're just not sure how. Well, we also have a DIY program where we can teach you how to do it and then get you set up for success. So 
After today's show, make sure you check out EngageLive.com. If a, new, a podcast or a live stream show like this is something you'd like to put into your marketing strategy on the horizon, maybe for 2022. Okay. That's enough of that, right? You're all excited to find out who our special guest is for today. And he is here from sunny Pompano Beach, Florida. His name is Ted Rubin. Now, if you don't know who Ted is, you need to. Ted is a leading social marketing strategist, uh, Photify CMO and advisor, an MC, a host of Brand Innovator Summits. He's also a speaker and he's written many books and we'll share some of those books today during our show. Uh, a lot of what Ted right now um, is, I, 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 don't, I don't want to say the word preaching, Ted, because you're not preaching, but what he's teaching, I should say, and his mantra, return on relationships, started back in March of 2019. When he started using this term, R-O-R, he even created a hashtag. It's hashtag R on R, meaning return on relationships. And this is a concept that he believes is the cornerstone for building an engaged multi-million member database and an engaged community of people who have become vocal advocates for this brand. Now, he took this concept, return on relationship, to his work with many companies, and a few are really big ones, maybe you've heard of, like Elf Cosmetics, Open Sky, Collective Bias. And through his work with some of those companies, he became so active on Twitter that he quickly grew his following to upwards of a million followers fairly quickly and very impressively. Many people in the social media world know Ted for his enthusiastic, energetic, and undeniably personal connection to people. Ted is one of the most followed CMOs on Twitter, according to Social Media Marketing Magazine. He is one of the most interesting CMOs on Twitter, according to Say Media. He's also on the Forbes Top 50 Social Media Power Influencers list, and he's number two on the lead tail list of top 25 people most mentioned by digital marketers. If you're not impressed yet, I don't know if I'll ever impress you because those are amazing titles and amazing accolades. Now, we'll share a little bit about some of Ted's books during our talk today, but one of those books called Return on Relationship was released back in January 2013. Another book he's written is How to Look People in the Eye Digitally. I think that's really cool because obviously our show is all about how to change up and pivot and you know, employ digital marketing techniques. So I think that's a really cool book title, Ted. Um, the Age of Influence, Selling to the Digitally Connected Consumer is another book title. And he's currently writing his latest book with his business partner and retail thought leader, John Andrews. And that book title is Retail Relevancy. Mm, I love all of your book titles, Ted. Ted believes, again, that the key to continued success for any brand, retailer, or e-tailer is identifying the customer. So we like that because Ted's focus is totally in line with ours, right? Optimize your customer experience. He believes you need to try to understand your customer and you have to pay attention to them. He's here today to help us understand some relationship development strategies to help us exceed our sales goals in this COVID era now and beyond. Ted, welcome to our show, and thank you for being our Engage guest expert today. Uh, thank you, Marissa. I got to tell you, I don't even know if you guys need me to be interviewed today after the, the job you did, just did. You know, 
I keep thinking that I've got to shorten the bio in uh, from my blog, tedrubin.com, because when when this happens publicly and I can get on the stage, sometimes I just walk up and take the mic away from the announcer who's just going on and on about me, but I wasn't able to do that here. But look, I'm happy to jump in. I'm really excited to be here. We've been talking about this for a while. You know, let's get going. What You know, talk to me. What do you got oh, really to talk about today, Marissa? I love it. And I'm actually sharing our stream from our LinkedIn right now, right to my page. So I want to encourage those of you joining us right now on LinkedIn Live. This is a live interactive talk. We welcome all questions, all comments. I'm broadcasting to you live from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Ted's down in sunny Florida. I'm extremely jealous, by the way, Ted. Um, and I do want to share that, uh, Ted, I actually shortened my bio notes. So I really could have gone on for probably another 30 minutes. So you've got an incredible resume. You have truly engaged with so many people all over the world. And one thing I like about you, Ted, and I'm excited to get into our talk on relationships, you practice what you preach, right? Um, relationships as the most valuable currency out there. And, you know, just your resume in and of itself is, is case in point that you practice what you preach. You've touched so many people, helped so many people. Um, you've written so many books on this topic. And now you have advocates all over the world who uh, love your mantra that you have to have a return on a relationship. Right. Well, you know, I'll tell you, it's funny. I was just talking about this with somebody when, you know, somebody asked me the question of what's most important to you. Cause something I struggle with, which I'm sure everybody in the audience here struggles with is all the different things we want to do. Right. I mean, Oh, we want to be a golfer, but oh, do we have enough time to put in the time to get to the level we want to get at or tennis or working out, or we want to deliver for a bunch of different companies, whether we're their employee of them or we're doing consulting or we're working for an organization in our community, especially now during COVID where a lot of people have really recognized the need to give back. And I find, at least for myself, I can disappoint myself a lot because I don't get as much done as I'd like. And one of the things I was talking about was, and I was asked, is what's most important to you? And when we boiled it down, you know, just trying to get myself focused on embracing who I am and letting go of some of the things that I don't have time for, is that the most important thing to me is relationships. It, it just really is. Uh, my, my daughters used to say to me, so I'm a divorced dad. It's part of who I am and my brand. A lot of people know I have to fight to keep my daughters in my life. And a lot of times my daughters would say, dad, you have a lot of friends. Like it's unbelievable. And I'd, be, I'd look at them and I go, I, I want to make sure you understand something. It's really not because I'm such a nice guy. Not that I'm saying I'm not, but it's because I work hard at it. And it really is the only way to maintain relationships and to keep connected and to engage with people is you have to put in the time. Like, I don't mind being the friend that always does the calling. I, I have a childhood friend. She's like a sister to me. If I don't call her, I never hear from her. But, but I'll call her because I don't mind being the person that reaches out because to me, it keeps that connection going. And I think that weaves its way not only in our personal lives, which are so important because if you're not happy personally, it's going to be hard to be successful in business. But I think it really weaves into all the business we do, all the organizations we're involved in. You know, making a friend is not just clicking a button. It's true. And you and I both agreed, even before our talk today, that you know, building a business, a startup, even a, you know, a business that's been around for a long time, changing things up. We've all learned that people and consumers don't connect with logos or brands. They connect with people. 
Yes. They connect with business owners that they see a similarity in or a business owner who whom they've heard on a podcast and they like their message or maybe they even grew up in the same town, right? We all look for connectors when we meet people, um, things that we find you know, in common, or, you know, we connect with people where we see a little bit of ourselves in them. So I think it's so important, no matter where you are in the stage of your business, that you remember that simple, simple point. And, and I think you have to exercise it beyond just yourself, like what people like, but what, what is necessary to do to connect with people. So, you know, it, it's, there's so many tools available to us today to know who we're talking to and to know who we're engaging mm -hmm. with. So, you know, again, I like telling stories. So I'll give you another story. I graduated college. We're talking eons ago. Um, and I, I got a sales job and my dad called me up at the end of my first week because he knew my, my, my goal was to get my first appointment. So he's like, did you get an appointment? I said, yeah. He goes, when is it? I said, next Thursday. He goes, what time? I said, 10 o'clock. He said, what time are you going to get there? I said, I don't know, about five to 10. He goes, no. And remember, this was 1980. So none of the tools that were available now were available then. He goes, get there an hour early, walk around the neighborhood. This was New York City. Get to know the restaurants in the neighborhood, the stores, go into the building, look at the board, see what other companies are in there. Get up to the office at least 20 minutes early and see if his or her assistant can get you into the office. And you can look at what's in there to find points of emotional connection. Is he, a is he or she a boater? Do they play golf? Are they a grandparent? Are they a parent? Find things that you can talk about that are not what you're in there to sell about, that are about people like what's about them. They, mm -hmm. they want people to be concerned with them. Now, today, now this was hard. I don't know. Well, you don't remember, that's for sure. But if there are any people in the audience that are in, that, that are in the late 50s or early 60s, then remember that back then we had things called microfiche. You had to go to a, 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 yeah. a, a library and ask for a reel and put it up on a screen and go through and try to find something about either that company or that person. There were some guidebooks to industries. But today there's such a wealth of information available that it kills me when I'm consulting for a company and I go to a meeting and the first question out of the salesperson's mouth is, how long have you worked here? Seriously? You didn't look at the LinkedIn profile because there's, there's two different ways to approach this. Oh, I see you've been working here for, for many, many years. Wow, you can really educate us about the needs of your company. Or I noticed you just started a few months ago. What can we do to support you? I mean, these are the ways, especially as a salesperson or a marketer, that you can focus things so that you're showing this person that it's about them. It's not about what you're there to sell. Exactly. And I know, well, and, and maybe you don't know this, my background is in a lot of acting, TV hosting, and my acting teacher always said, even as an actor, when you're center stage, it's not all about you. It's about the other person. And that just goes, um, I like that example that you shared about getting to an office early, looking around, because you know what that also does, just from a psychological standpoint, it gives you a chance too, as someone who's about to meet somebody new, enter into maybe a relationship or hopefully, right, get them to sign on the dotted line. It gives you a chance to have a moment to relax, to take a breath and uh, just be present as well, because you're exactly. not worried about the fact that you're five minutes late or you didn't have time to do this. So it's uh, definitely, definitely a great example. And I think uh, even in today's uh, digital era where maybe we're not doing as much in person, that doesn't um, negate the need to prepare. It, it actually it actually makes it easier. 
You can have your notes in front of you. You can have things there that you want to reference and bring up, whereas it might be a little bit more difficult to do it in an in-person meeting, although you can do it in an in-person meeting too. I mean, don't forget, you know, cheat sheets on your hand is something you can do. You can remember things. You can glance at your phone just because somebody brings something up. But, you know, obviously you don't want to sit in, in a meeting looking at your phone, so please don't misunderstand that. But, you know, right. the preparation is so important, and it's so easy to do now that when People don't do it, and I will tell you, the vast majority don't. How many of you guys have received LinkedIn requests where they seem a little hinky, but you figure you'll accept it because you want to see what happens? And the and the first question they ask you, forget about the, the the sales that they try to do immediately, but when they say, "So what do you do?" So what do I do? Like seriously, first of all, why did you connect with me if it's so? What do I do? And how could you not have at least looked at the basics of my profile? and know that. And that just goes way further when you've gone to the effort and the hard work of getting an appointment, again, whether it be Zoom, whether whether it be mm -hmm. on a phone call, whatever it happens to be. And I think people have gotten a little too reliant on Zoom and these types of things because some people just want a quick phone call. But again, mm -hmm. when you know something about them, when you see the last thing they've done, when you can mention that you know they have kids or that they're a dad, or even just tell a story about being a dad, which you know they'll relate to because it's something about them. This is just what creates that ability to connect with people. And again, the tools are right at our fingertips. So it's kind of silly to waste them. Agree. Agree. Well, let's dive into our talk today because we are talking about this currency of relationships. For those of you watching live right now on LinkedIn or obviously watching the replay visually, I'm going to go ahead and put up an outline of today's talk on the screen for you. And for those of you listening on our podcast replay, I'll read through this for you. So today we're talking about relationship, relationship development strategies you'll need to exceed your sales goals in the COVID era. So we're going to talk with Ted and I'm going to ask him to give us this definition of what is return on relationship? What does that mean to Ted? And obviously, that's the mantra of so much of his work. So I'm excited to have him dive a little more deeply into that. How do you view trust and relationships? We'll talk about connecting and communication when building relationships. And then we'll talk about the importance of being sensitive to a customer's experience with your marketing. And I know Ted's very passionate about that. And he's he's kind of smiling and giving a nod. So Ted, let's start first, quite simply, with this idea of return on relationship. What is your definition of return on relationship? Well, you know, simply put, it, it's the value that's accrued by a personal brand due to nurturing a relationship. You know, ROI is simple dollars and cents, but ROR is the value that I like to say is both perceived and real that will accrue over time through connection, trust, loyalty, recommendations, and sharing. And, you know, I've been working really hard um, to use this to define and educate companies, brands, and especially people about the importance of creating authentic connection, interaction, and engagement. Like I said earlier, making a friend is not as simple as just clicking a button. I agree. I agree. And um, as you mentioned before, too, so many people are quick in, I think, today's day and age to look at quantity over quality, right? How many followers do you have? How many likes do you have? Um, how has that, do you think, impacted this, this idea of 
connecting in relationships? Well, I think unfortunately a lot of the, a lot of this has been taken into media metrics. So what are media metrics about? They're about they're about the size of your audience, the amount of people that are listening, how many clicks you get, et cetera, et cetera. And unfortunately, a lot of that has weaved itself now into our personal relationships or the way we sell and the way we build relationships, that it's a numbers game. I'll, I'll, I'll spam 2,000 people on LinkedIn with my offer. You know, maybe I'll get 20 people that click on it. I'll get two people that agree to talk to me. Boom, I have a metric now for how I can make sales. Whereas for me, I feel you reach out to 20 people personally or maybe 40 or whatever. Mm -hmm. You narrow that down to people that actually now know that you reached out to them personally, that you did what was necessary to start building a relationship. And then even if you only narrow that down to the to the two calls or, or, or the one sale, this is someone that you've really connected with directly. And I just think that this is really, really important because we, again, we're misunderstanding. We, 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 we have gotten to think that influence is about numbers. And that's really not what influence is about. I like to say that everybody influences someone. And truth be told, most of us are not influenced by business leaders or, um, or celebrities or people with big followings, we're influenced by people we know. We're influenced mm. by the person that has done it before and we feel they can give us some good guidance. We're influenced by that person we look up to, a mentor, or somebody else in our company that has either had success or we report to, or we do something else with. We look at friends who are experts or specialists in things. I mean, I don't know about you, but like when I wanna buy a car, I go to my buddy who's a car guy. Like I don't just dig in and do all this research from people I've never heard of. I go to people that I have respect for. If mm -hmm. I'm buying a computer, if I'm making a decision, I've been doing work on, on the building I own and, and I've, been, I've been renovating and I don't go online and research. I talk to people I know that are experts that I, that I have respect for and the people I know I can connect with, not just read what they're saying. So I think everyone has to recognize that we influence everybody around us and those people that you know are really your most valuable asset. I agree. And, you know, I saw an interesting statistic online the other day that ties right into exactly what you just said, that people are influenced by people they know more than maybe celebrities or people with a lot of following. They did a comparison with maybe, I think it was Kim Kardashian, right? Who's got, you know, how many millions of followers? And then they compared it to somebody who maybe only had a couple thousand followers, maybe less than 10,000, someone you'd call maybe a micro-influencer. And when you actually looked at the statistics, the metrics of the engagement, the person who had under 10,000 followers had like a, I don't, I don't remember, but let's just say a a 37% engagement rate, right? Whereas right. Kim Kardashian had like a 2% engagement rate. And I think too, um, something that falls in line with, with this idea is, and I know you'll agree, Ted, is we also live in a world where people are frankly nosy. People rubberneck on the highway because they want to see what's going on. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily influenced or, you know, know, like, and trust somebody enough to buy from them or, or work with them. But we even want to know what our competitors are doing. So a lot of times we're following things just to be in the know. And it doesn't actually, you know, lead to a sale or a relationship, you know, so you, you have to you have to know when vanity metrics are available or are viable or when they're mm -hmm. when they're valuable. So if you're trying to get the word out about something new, 
Vanity metrics have value. More people are going to see your message. Again, it's like buying an ad at the Super Bowl versus buying an ad at something that's very focused on an industry you're looking to reach. When you're just trying to get the word out about a change we're making or a transformation we're making, then I believe those media metrics can be very valuable. But when you're looking to build relationships, which are going to end up in sales, especially in the B2B space, then connectivity, people you know, references, referrals, people that refer you to friends, I just think are much more important. And again, the value that comes from building these relationships go well beyond that sale you're looking to make. They go into, remember, the when you're working for a company, it should not just be about the company. It's about you. It's about you growing. It's about you building on what you your knowledge base. It's about leaving that company as a better person. And the best companies want you to be better when you leave them than when you came in. And so take that time because those relationships you're building along the way are going to come in handy down the road. And, you know, I'm sure you've had these discussions. I have these discussions with young people all the time and it's very hard to get it through them. I was very lucky. I had a dad that drilled into my head that doing for others without expectation of anything directly in return was really the key to getting that return. You know, it, it was that when you do those things, you build up your brand, you build up your reputation. I like to say that a brand is what a business or a person does. A reputation is what people remember and share. And that reputation goes well beyond not only that sale, but whatever product is involved. And it follows you your entire life. So the sooner you start focusing on that and the best way to build reputation is to have relationships, because then you have people out there that talk about you that like, I like to say that if someone gets very negative with me online. And I tell this to every company I deal with, if I see they've been active socially and they, they have engaged with people is take a breath and don't respond right away. Because very often your followers, your fans, your, your customers, your employees will be the ones that jump in and defend you. And you don't even have to do it yourself. Wow. Great, great points. And I'm, I'm interested to see as our talk evolves, I feel like you probably have a lot of examples just like that, of things that people can do to help bolster relationships. Or I'd be interested to know too, think about this as we continue, if you have any kind of weird horror stories of maybe lessons you learned about what not to do when it comes to bolstering and building relationships. I don't know. Um, well, I, I can throw one right out now that's yeah, relevant to what we just talked about, about people yeah. stepping up for you. But um when I'm just directly engaging online and it's an easygoing thing, it's back and forth, it's quick, it's easy. But very often I will post something that is somewhat controversial. It might be controversial from a marketing standpoint. It might be me disagreeing with someone that people like or, or support whatever theory they're sharing about marketing. It might be about politics or something even personal. Uh, I share a lot about myself because I feel the more people know about me, the more they're going to connect and engage with me. Whether they agree with my viewpoints on politics or love and marriage or, or relationships, whatever, I share. But what I've learned to do when I know I'm writing something that's either contradictory to the person I'm replying to or, um, again, a little controversial, is I take a breath. I write it and I think about it before I send it. And by the way, that breath can be momentary. But what I do is... I think before I click. That's number one. Number two is I tend to use Twitter as my experimental platform. Twitter's like a river. It flows incredibly fast. Yes, you write a tweet, it stays there forever. Even if you delete it, if somebody else shared it, I know that. 
but it comes off of people's screens incredibly fast, especially if they have a lot of followers. So when I'm writing something like that, I started out on Twitter and I mold and moderated there. So I might write something that's really controversial. And maybe I didn't say it properly because you know how very often we, we think things, but we don't express them, especially in writing or with emojis or some other way digitally, as well as we would like to, or as well as we might have if we were in person. And we also don't have that moment where if I'm sharing something with you face to face and I say something wrong, I can go, oh, wait a second. That's not what the way I meant. I can see your eyes open up and I can say, no, no, I think you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. We don't mm -hmm. get that digitally. So what I like to do is I put that stuff out on Twitter and I get immediate feedback because, you know, people out there, especially if you write something controversial, they're going to come back and they might say, oh my God, that's really the way you feel. And then I'll read it again and go, okay, wait a second. And then I'll send it out again and I'll moderate it. Like I'll change it. I'll write what I'm thinking about. So a perfect example um, is I was, fl I, I was flying. I fly, I used to fly a lot before COVID <laughs> and I was on a plane and I happened to be reading an article about obesity and people. And, and a lot of it was about people complaining about, you know, the, the choices they get and other things. And, um, I'm very into fitness. I've been vegan for the last five years. So I'm sitting on a plane and I'm watching these people stuff Coca-Cola's and chips into their mouths almost at the same time as they're complaining about their weight. And I wrote something a little insensitive about it. Instead of saying, wow, I really want to help people think before they do or realize that just because you're on a plane, because, you know, you get the excuse, oh, it's my birthday. Oh, I'm on the plane. Oh, I'm flying. It's hard to eat well. You know, mm -hmm. and again, becoming vegan, I learned a lot about how easy it is to bring things with you that are a lot healthier because things weren't available for me. But what happened was I wrote it. I got some immediate pushback, like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're saying that. Are you like, are you anti-obesity? Like, are you angry with people? And I, I wrote back immediately going, I didn't express myself well, stand by. And then little by little, it took me four or five tweets to get this to the point where I was really making a point about companies that offer these products, about things I think we need to do, about ways I think you can travel and be healthier where I'm adding value to people rather than cutting people down. And then I went and shared it to Facebook, to LinkedIn in a blog post where it was more thought out. And I used the feedback of my audience mm -hmm. to, to mold my message, to put it in a place where it's more static and people are going to see it and experience it more. That's interesting. So I like this tip. Obviously, think before you click, take a breath. Um, I think what's also interesting, though, is you do put things out there that may be controversial. That's okay, though, because it makes people think and react. And by doing it on Twitter, like you shared, you get this instant kind of you get this instant group setting of your peers, your colleagues who say, hey, is, are you sure that's what you meant? Or are you sure you want to word it that way? Or, hey, that sounds really insensitive. So it is true. I think in order to um, also grow and nurture relationships, we also have to in life and online and in our marketing and as a company, we have to admit when we're wrong. Um, don't you agree? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, make it right is a new kind of thing happening in our world right now where companies yeah. are taking responsibility. I want to jump in. That's really important. Making it right. So it, recognizing mm -hmm. you're wrong is just the first step. The second step is is letting people know you felt that way and potentially making it right. And here's something else that's really important because sometimes I give advice and I, I we're on one of these interviews and we move on and I don't give the last piece, which is important. If and when you write something that you think is controversial at all, don't disappear. That you have to be there because it, it, if it does blow up, 
and you're not there to respond or to say, oh, that's not what I meant, or to filter it or to, or, or to just give feedback, then this thing can blow up out of hand. So it's really mm-hmm. important to be present whenever you're writing something that, you know, again, is whether it's something new or you're discussing with someone, like don't ever get on someone's, someone else's feed where you're replying to something they posted, get controversial with them and then go away because that that's going to hurt your brand. It's not going to help it. I agree. Well, that kind of brings us to our next topic and you touched on it already a little bit, but trust and relationships. How do you view trust and relationships? Well, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot and and recently I've been I've been doing some work with some companies that are going through big transformations and want to want to not only build their own trust again which they might have lost mm. or or maybe there are people that are hating on them but they've decided to take it beyond just themselves and talk about trust in general um and and and, and hate in general and so i've been doing a lot of thinking about this and for me you know i believe trust is built upon interaction you know when you're true to your word authentic and genuine you know to build relationships online like we're talking about here you as a brand or an individual, you have to offer value in return. Mm-hmm. Trust requires inclusion. And you have to recognize that these trust exchanges are part of everything we do. And sometimes we forget that because we have this innate trust with people we work with or some of the people we know or the circles we travel in. And we forget as a salesperson or a marketer that we're moving outside those venues and you're not automatically trusted because people don't necessarily know you. So let me boil this down a little bit. For me, trust simplified is different from most things that we earn. It's highly valued but it can't be bought. You can't just go out and buy trust. It's sometimes shared, but that window closes quickly if you overuse it, as we often do. We often overuse the trust that we've instilled, not realizing that trust is a constant that we have to continue building all mm. the time. Someone doesn't trust you forever just because you did one thing right. You know, we all say we're only as good as our last sale or we're only as good as the last thing we did right. So that's because that trust has to continually be earned. You know, it, 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 it it has to be earned, but you can't sell it. So you can't get trust for you or your company and then necessarily shift it to another. You move to another company, people trust you, but now you have to build trust in your company. Its lifespan will only be as long as you are willing to nurture it, respect it, and care for it. You know, in my humble opinion, trust has a way of earning its own value and maintaining its own lifespan. Those who seek it and want to keep it have to live with that reality. Real trumps perfect because real tree creates trust. So if you're trying to be somebody you're not, and you're not embracing who you are or sharing who you are, that's going to be a very hard thing to live up to. You know, you, you hear about marketing personas, you know, that's okay when you're building marketing um, um, plans or you're putting out marketing to the world, but mm-hmm. for yourself, you don't want to have a persona. You need to be who you are. And like we talked about earlier, you know, we are most, we're most often influenced by our friends, our family, our colleagues, not by influencers and relationships mm-hmm. play a crucial role in trust. And again, as I said earlier, everyone influences someone. So empower those around you, your friends, your family, your customers, your colleagues, and your employees to power your trust quotient. Let me ask you this, Ted, too, since Engage is all about giving actionable takeaways for our viewers with this continued kind of educational series that we do. What are some 
tips that you could give maybe a startup or a small company that's really just diving into their strategic marketing plans and they're excited about the digital opportunities they have? What are a couple basic, very simple tips you can give them to help them build trust? Let's just say, for example, I don't know, it's... um. Maybe they have like a, a product, right? And so they're they're on social media. They are where they're, maybe their target demographic is on Instagram. So they're on Instagram. They are, you know, in the story space and the posting space. So they are where their target demographic is. They're sharing messaging and images and, you know, they've, they've got their product out there. What are ways that a company can can work to to build and nurture trust with their target audience especially when it's through like a a social media campaign or a social social app well i'm going to start off this answer with one of my favorite one liners okay. empower your employees and they will power your brand did and you say empower your employees and they will I empower did. your brand I, yes empower your employees and they will power your brand now what that means is empower your employees to be more than just your employee to be more than just delivering on their job they're doing empower your employees to communicate with customers to to talk to people to again share their lives to to build their social profiles do you know that um, apparently 50 up to 50% of recruiters will now ignore people they're looking to recruit if they don't have their own social profiles mm. and, and why is that? that that's for two reasons one is the simple reason is it allows the, the, the recruiter to know something about that person in advance, and it makes it a little bit easier for them to know things about them and whether they're a good fit. But also, it makes that employee less valuable to a brand because they don't have a voice. So a, bi a big way that I, I things I've been working on, especially with Photify over the last few years, is about companies empowering their employees to share content, to, to engage online, to, to talk to people so that they can scale that connectivity, so they can connect to the followers of their employees. So what, what are a few things they can do for themselves? Like, how do you make an employee powerful? Or how do you make your brand powerful? Well, first of all, you start listening. You know, it, it, too many companies don't listen. They collect data and they look at data points, but they don't actually listen to people. If you want to be heard above this ever-growing social media noise, you need to first listen to your consumers and your audience so that when you do speak, you get it right. I mean, what are mm -hmm. they saying? What are they feeling? What are their pain points? What solutions do they need? You know, too often when I speak about this, I get people going, oh no, you know, the one of the best marketers in the world and most successful guy, Steve Jobs, he always said, I tell people what they want. They don't tell me. Well, as soon as Steve Jobs comes to work for you or the next jobs, that, that'll be great. Go that way. Or maybe you think you're as smart as Steve Jobs and that you know exactly what people want. But truth be told, there are very few people like that in the world. And if you really want to know how to do better at what you're doing to sell more of your product, you need to start listening. That doesn't mean make every change that you're the person that you're speaking to or that you want to make a match with says that they want to do, but it's a matter of understanding them. You know, for me, Listening is finally getting the respect it deserves because of the abundance of social media platforms that now appeal to every demographic. I mean, people, listen, adjust your message to make it relevant to your audience and consumer because brand loyalty declines due to a lack of relevance. And that is a direct result of not listening. I like to say, listen for moments and make it personal. So, you know, I'll, again, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, 
I'm a dad of daughters. Now they're older now, they're in their 20s. But when they were younger, I'm a divorced dad. I had limited time with my daughters, you know, and I learned to listen for what's important to them because most often it's very different than what's important to us. And so what we want to do as parents, we want to talk to our kids about things that are important to us. We want to sit down and tell them about life and what they need to do and what they should be doing different. But instead, you know, what I would do is I would listen to my daughter when she was sitting next to me instead of criticizing her for being on her phone because we're not going to stop it to, to a of that pretty big degree, I would see what she's looking at. I'd see what she was doing. I used to watch her when she was on Snapchat. I don't know if you remember the early days of Snapchat, but there was no video, like you couldn't talk into it. There was no sound. And my daughter would just be in front of this thing, communicating with people by making faces. Hmm. And But what this did is it created an opportunity for me to talk to her about something that was relevant. And also we need to learn to not always jump in at the moment we think it's good for us, but learn something put it away in our di in our digital vault and then have it for when it does become relevant. So I'm listening to my daughter. She's talking to her friends. She steps away. We get home. She steps away from the car. I'm, I'm making like I'm being a good dad, being safe, staying downstairs, making sure that she's okay as if my driveway is unsafe. And I hear her talking about um, something with her friends about how they call all the boys by code names, red, blue, orange, yellow, so that they don't know that they're talking about them. And this was really great information for a future conversation because when I tried to approach it, the minute my daughter walked over to me, of course she felt intruded upon. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure every mom out there would be shaking their heads when I go. So I said to her, so were you talking to Blue? You know, and she looked at me as if like, we never had this conversation or she never even talked to me about this, which she did at, at, at dinner that night. So I put it in my digital vault and about six months later, we're on a trip, we're, we're, we're in Mexico, we're in the ocean. Her sister did wanted nothing to do with her. She was by herself. She finally asked me to come in and, sw and swim with her. You know, here I am, dad, so excited that my daughter finally wants me to spend time with her. And now she brings up that topic and I'm able to jump in at the right moment and share something that showed that I was paying attention. So that's part of my second thing, which is make it about them. Mm -hmm. so think about and address what matters to your customers, to your audience. Give them the ability to show you what they need, what they want, what they're interested in, you know, what they expect. Whatever matters most to them should end up being what matters most for you, even if it's only an objection you have to overcome because it's something you, you couldn't change. I, I like to tell companies, and I'm sure everybody here, their company has email marketing. Right. And I'm, I try to say to them, start thinking about email marketing instead of email marketing, because people care about themselves. And that's really important. And then just a few more. I don't know how much longer you want me to go on with this, but, you know, no, start wait, hey, real wait, Ted, real quick, because I want to make sure that you didn't just say that so fast. Did you say email marketing? Yes. Email. That's cool. I like yeah. that. Make it email marketing because, again, people care about themselves, not your latest sale, your latest offer, you know, the thing that you think is greatest. Start thinking about how do you connect with them because if enough consumers say negative things about your brand, your brand loses its, its credibility and its brand equity. And right now, and I know this is something we're going to talk about a little bit later in the call, although we're probably running out of time, but... but you know, brands have to start thinking about how consumers react to their marketing. What is the customer experience with your marketing? When you bang them over the head again and again and again, they get tired of it and they stop listening. So that is exactly where I was going to go to next. But so just to reiterate, 
your first tip that I think is so powerful, it's empowering your employees. And I like that you brought that up because one thing we talk about right now, or just uh, that we have been talking about is, you know, how to get more um, traffic and more engagement on a company's LinkedIn page. Because most people don't connect with the company page, again, because that's the brand, that's the logo. They want to connect with the people. And one of the things that we've um, had previous guests talk about is, well, get your employees excited about contributing to the company page, link the pages, et cetera, et cetera. So again, it's empowering your employee. That's just a small example, but it's empowering your employee to be excited about creating content, right? About taking their ideas, putting them out there on their own LinkedIn pages. And then as a company, sharing your employees' input, ideas, content, et cetera. So I like this idea, empowering your employees. And then again, this idea that for customers, you have to make it about them. It is about them in their eyes. So why wouldn't you want to make it about them? That just seems like a no-brainer. But I like your examples. Just just. Two other quick ones is yeah. start asking again, how can I serve you? Taking the me mentality one step further, when we're advertising, instead of building relationships, we're focused on what our consumers can give us instead of how we can best serve them. You know, your customers will recognize in a heartbeat if you're simply trying to get something from them. I mean, we all know that feeling. We all right. get it. And, and they'll not stick around. It's not that you aren't allowed to want anything from them. It's that there must be a give to go along with every take. You know, if you truly want to make an impact, aim to always put more energy and attention in your give column than in your take column. I promise it will pay off. And then the the last one I want to share with you on this topic is aim for ongoing engagement. You know, again, like we talked about earlier, it's not just about clicking a button. It's about periodic, every day, serendipitously, I reach out to some different people I haven't connected with in a while. I send them a note. I, I I go to their LinkedIn page and I comment on something they posted. You know, I do something. And again, it sounds like, oh my God, how much can I do that with? I have all these followers. You just do a little bit every day. You make it a part of your routine that you're just out there engaging. And if people reach out to you, reach back. Don't ignore them. And I, I, this is a tip I want to add. It's a little bit different from what we were just talking about. But please, people, when you connect with people on social platforms, especially LinkedIn, send a personal note. Stop just clicking those buttons of connect. Send out something. You can make something standard that you send to a lot of people and just personalize it for each one if you want to make it a little bit easier. But every time you're at a meeting, every time you're at an event and you get those cards, don't just click connect, connect, connect. Right? Hey, it was great meeting you at the Brand Innovators event in, in, in Atlanta. I love what you said about X. And again, if you remember that, or sometimes we make notes on cards, But if you don't, you can just say, I love the conversation that ensued there. I feel it's really worthwhile for us to connect. Please feel free to be in touch anytime. Do not send out a connection request. Even the minute you get off the phone with somebody or we get off this thing, don't just send out a connection request to Ted. Right. Hey, I really enjoyed the interview you just did. I'd love to be connected. And then if I write back to you, sometimes it can be a game. Who's going to be the last one to connect? And then the other thing I advise you is that when people reach out to you, never accept without a personal note back. I'm telling you, you start this now and over the years, it will build your brand. I mean, sometimes if I don't reply to somebody, instead of them saying, I can't believe you ignored me, they write back and say, you must have missed this because I know you always reply. And then the last thing is, is, you know, as a part of this ongoing engagement is, Just always remember, relationships are like muscle tissue. The more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. 
a great analogy. And, you know, speaking of um, just speaking of connecting, someone just commented in the comment section, literally, please don't stop because our conversation is, is just so well, insightful you. to them. And um, they kind of said they've lost their way a little bit and um, they're working on a digital marketing career. So all of this information is just so incredibly helpful. So I just want to thank those of you who are joining us live. And if you're watching the show on the replay, maybe you found us in the Engage live show library, you can still leave questions. Or if you're watching this via a webinar that has shared with you, if you still have questions and this is a replay, leave those questions in the comments section. We will get them via email and we can bubble them over to Ted. Ted, you brought up a great point. And I think just because of time, um, it's a great time for me to actually share with our audience how they can connect with you and mm -hmm. practice what you preach, which is make sure if you connect with Ted that you, of course, share a message. Don't just click connect. But you can find Ted on LinkedIn under Ted Rubin, T-E-D-R-U-B-I-N. Please, if you connect with Ted, let's put into practice what he's helping us learn. Connect with him with a message. Let him know that you heard the show, saw the show through the Engage uh, website or through a link somebody shared with you, maybe on LinkedIn. And leave him a note. Tell him something that was interesting about the show or that you enjoyed his talk. It's such a simple thing, Ted, but I also like this idea, not only is, you know, building relationships like this muscle, but it's true. The more you do, the better you get at it. And if you do just a little bit every day, when you look back after a year, like you just shared, you make it a point every day to connect with a few people. Well, when you fast forward 365 days later and you've done a couple connections every day, we're looking at upwards of a thousand connections that you've nurtured in a year's time. Right. What, what you're amazing. doing is what you're doing is you're looking people in the eye digitally. Mm -hmm. Again, back to storytelling. I'm, a, I'm, I'm getting to the dating age. I'm going on my first date. My mom sits me down and she says, listen, make sure you look at her. Don't look at who's walking in the door. Don't look at the rest of the people in the thing. Make sure you look her in the eye, because if you don't, you're not going to get a second date. She goes, mm -hmm. and then she, and then of course my dad jumped in. He goes, and that goes for, for business for, even when I had a paper out, he goes, make sure you, you talk, you don't just put your hand out. You look up at people, you show them that you're paying attention. And that's why I talk about looking people in the eye digitally, which means when you engage with them, when you share something in their background, when you say something like, I, I love, you know, I, I love, they say, I love, you know, I, I say, I love park city or I love to ski. They know that you've looked at their profile because they wrote on their profile. They love skiing. So you've made a comment about that. And it's just really important. And again, this, none of this will make a difference in a day or a week. This will make a difference over time. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I want to share with everybody a few of the books that you've written, because if someone is looking for guidance, for help, if they're looking for more examples or they want to learn more about this mantra, right, about relationships and relationships as a currency, let's share the books that you've got out available now. And you can find more about these books and even just more about Ted on his website, www.tedrubin.com. We've got Return on Relationship. And then you have this cool kind of um, guidebook that I think falls in, in line with everything that you're teaching us in return on relationship. Then you've got a book, respectfully, how to look people in the eye digitally. And then we have the age of influence. Can you just quickly, you know, cliff notes, 60 seconds, kind of walk us through what our audience can find in each of these books? 
Well, return on relationship is just basically about my whole premise about how relationships are like muscle tissue and that they add value to everything. So everybody talks about ROI. And believe me, the one misunderstanding I want to clear up is I am not saying ROR, return on relationship versus ROI. I'm saying that return on relationship will enhance ROI because those relationships are what build on everything that you're looking to accomplish. So that's return on relationship. The, the second one you're looking at there is a really cool company that that called AHA Marketing that takes all the, your, your concepts in return relationship that I've written as tweets and puts it into a book with 140 tweets, which was based on the 140 characters that was originally part of Twitter. Um, How to Look People in the Eye Digitally, that's also a, a tweet book about my book, How to Look People in the Eye Digitally. So the, the book, How to Look People in the Eye Digitally, is a regular book that you don't have shown here, which is fine. Oh, sorry about um, that. Okay. That's okay. It, it, Amazon's kind of strange about it sometimes. And then The Age of Influence um, is about how everyone influences somebody and what we're really talking about when we talk about influencers and how a lot of it is, is really uh, about media. Awesome. Well, Ted, I could talk to you all day. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have all day to talk. So I'm just excited that we were able to nurture and start our relationship together. I'm excited that you joined us today to share with our audience a little bit more about this. this, uh, It's not even a mantra. It's really a way of life and it's a way of business. And as we know, know, it's kind of like art imitates life. Well, listen, what we're doing in our day-to-day life, our habits, the way that we're treating people in our day-to-day personal life, should really be, um, if you're doing it right, if you're nurturing relationships, if you're looking people in the eye in person, um, if you are growing, listening, making it not about you, but making it about the people in your life, you should be mimicking that same behavior in your business life. I think that's my biggest takeaway today from our talk. It's so simple, but I think we forget. And we think business is different than life. And now we know it, it's not. It's not, especially in this COVID era where things are changing personally and they're affecting business right. exactly the same. So awesome. Ted, thank you so much for your time today. Can I close with something? Absolutely. I'd like to leave your audience with one last thing that I say all the time and that I think is really important. And it's what it, it's what takes relationship building beyond what we just call networking is I like to say that a a network gives you reach, but a community gives you power. Networks connect, but communities care. And my whole life, I always looked at myself as a networker. And a bunch of years ago, it really dawned on me through conversations I had with others that what I am is is a community builder. I bring people together. And when you bring people together, around things that you're, whether you're preaching or you're, or you're just um, trying to convince people is important or you're just having discussions, you create a great deal of power. So with every relationship you build, think beyond that to the community that you can bring together. And the last thing I want to leave everybody with is um, um, Marissa gave you my LinkedIn profile, but I'm at Ted Rubin at Twitter. Also, I actually pick up my phone. My phone number is 516-270-5511. My email address is tedrubin at gmail.com. They're listed on all my social profiles. Feel free to reach out anytime. I love that. And and just to just to tack on to what you said, because that made me feel really good. When you think about a community, you think about people helping each other and yeah. lifting each other up. When you think about a network, it it almost is a place where you feel like people are 
opportunistic and what can you do for me? Right? right. So I think that that is like such a cool thing to say and a great way to end our conversation and just a great way for all of us to move forward with positivity um, and create communities around us that are supportive, lift each other up. And again, make it about the customer, not about you and, and help and build that trust, build that loyalty and uh, get your return on your relationship. I love it, Ted. Thank you so much again for joining us. And please connect with Ted on LinkedIn. Uh, he just shared even his email, his cell phone. He's obviously up for building a relationship with you. So take him up on that and try to build a relationship with Ted and see where that goes. Ted, thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. My pleasure, Marissa. You too and everybody else. What an awesome guest learning how to get a return on a relationship, learning all these great tips, uh, some so simple, you kind of scratch your head and go, why didn't I think of that? But looking someone in the eye digitally, um, building a community as opposed to a network, uh, empowering your employees. I thought that was amazing. And it, and it makes so much sense. And of course, making it about your customer, making it about what their need is and not, not, not what you can do for them, but how, how can you help them? These are all really great tips. Again, connect with Ted, please, on LinkedIn. If you do, be sure to drop him a note and let him know that you heard his show with Marissa Morgan on Engage. Okay, guys, I have just one more minute with you. And I want to share our Engage News of the Week. Every single show, we share with you an Engage News digital marketing news piece of the week. Sometimes it's a tip. Sometimes it's an update on a platform. And this week, actually, it has to do with Ted's favorite uh, social platform, and that is Twitter. Oh, my gosh, Ted, if you're in the waiting room and you're still listening, this is great because Twitter is actually testing a new feature called rightfully so, communities, which enables the audience to share tweets with selected and topic-based groups of users. Some conversations aren't for everyone, right? Just the people who want to talk about the thing that you want to talk about. When you join a community, you can tweet directly to that group instead of tweeting to all of your followers. Only members in the same community are able to reply and join the conversation so it stays intimate and relevant. That's the perfect news of the week to end our show with Ted Rubin, where he spoke highly of creating communities instead of networks, right? And building your relationships. If you're just joining us and you missed the show, or you think that you have a colleague or friend who would benefit from Ted's insights, make sure that you visit our company on LinkedIn. And that's going to be Engage, the company page. Look for the rainbow colored cog. And there you'll be able to see replays of today's show. And you'll also be able to see a schedule under the events tab of upcoming shows as well. And be sure to connect and follow us there for more updates. Okay, if you have other topic suggestions or if you have questions you'd like to ask the guests and you didn't get a chance to during our show, feel free to email me, marissa.m at engage.com. And you can connect with me as well on LinkedIn at the Marissa Morgan, M-A-R-I-S-S-A-M-O-R-G-A-N. Connect with me, connect with LinkedIn, and be sure to join me next Tuesday for our next show with Colin Lepiscopo. It is going to be part three of a four-part series on increasing your conversions by more than 200%. Next week on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern is part three of four. We're going to be looking at page visitors' thought sequences and sales page content 
flow. Join us for that show and also either in the comments section now or on our LinkedIn page, leave your business name and your company website. We are going to be doing an interactive exercise for part four of Colin's show where he'll be picking two different business websites and optimizing the website live on the air. So if you're interested in having your business website looked at by a CRO expert, leave your company name and your company website on our LinkedIn page under any of the posts promoting Colin's show. Okay, everybody, that is it. I want to thank Sunil for joining us and many of the other viewers who joined us live on LinkedIn. Also, we are broadcasting simultaneous to YouTube and Facebook as well, so you can check us out there. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend, and I look forward to seeing you back here next week on Tuesday, October 5th, for our show with Colin Lepiscopo. Until then, have a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll see you next time.